0: Give me the flat
1: to dawn with plenty of tailing fish.
2: And the perfect fly rod. Whoa, yeah! And get ready for some magic. Oh, an awesome piece, yeah. I got one! Oh, damn, I
0: got him! I got it. I got him! Join
2: Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Nice fish!
3: And help make sure that the magic never ends. Visit tarbone.org to find out how you can help.
0: Good evening everybody Welcome to another edition of Kayak Fishing Radio I am one of your hosts, Charles Levi, also known as Redfish Chuck Should be soon joined by the one and only Captain Alex Gorichke And I am currently joined by James Page from Atlanta What is up, sir?
2: No, again
0: Snow again?
2: Snow again? It's snowing right now.
0: It's snowing right now in Atlanta. Hmm.
2: Yes, not con- not conducive to fishing at all.
0: Do you know where it's not snowing?
2: Uh, Titusville, Merritt Island, Cocoa Beach area.
0: That would be correct. <laughs> <laughs> That would be correct, sir. We are getting zero snow at the moment.
3: <laughs>
0: I don't predict that we're going to see any snow. <clears throat> Although I'm not a meteorologist, but I'm just going on a hunch that that's probably not going to happen. How are you, sir? Besides
2: the snow? I'm good. I'm good, man. Wait, yeah. Looking forward to the warmer weather. We've had a lot of Lows in the 12s and the 18s and the 19s, which is cool for us, even in the winter. It's been a little below average, a little colder than average for us this winter. So I'm looking forward (laughs) to the warmer weather.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, Folks, tonight, for some reason, Blog Talk Radio is acting all weird. It happens like at least once a quarter, where the studio just doesn't want to operate the way that it is supposed to. And so we don't have a chat room, it would appear, tonight, which kind of sucks, because I I really was looking forward to uh, getting some audience participation from the chat room in the show tonight. But it is what it is. If you're listening to the show and you'd like to... Be a part of the show, feel free to give us a call, the phone number as always is 714-816-4727 714-816-4727 and we are now joined by Captain Alex Gritsky, what is up, my brother?
1: What it is It is It's It's not Tuesday, not Monday
0: Did I say Monday
1: no, I've thought all day that it was oh.
0: Monday. Oh, yesterday well, I thought it was I mean, Sunday
1: so.
0: well, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, it's not it's not a bad thing to not know what day it is, really. I guess. <laughs> uh, unless unless it's an anniversary, a birthday that's that's of importance and that kind of thing, and then you you know that it's on a Friday or whatever, and you think that it's not that day and your wife gets mad but I know you better than that so that would not happen. Hey listen, so real quick I want to get into something real fast because this is I this caught my eye the other day on Instagram and I just I I got to throw this out there for everybody to to hear this.
3: <clears throat>
0: First of all I am a fan of small manufacturing. I've always been a fan of mom and pop or smaller than the big guys in, in the, in the fishing industry, such as like Shimano, Penn, Akuma, like any of those names, Daiwa, whatever, they've been around forever. They're, they're mega, mega, mega companies. They're not small businesses like Tibor, small business, Nautilus, small business. Um, and even though they sell a lot of fly reels and they, you know, they're big in their industry, in the grand scheme of things, they're not structured like a like a massive company like the others. I found another one uh, a couple actually a couple months ago that I've been following on Instagram, and it's Z Bass, Z Bass Reels. So, Z Bass Reels is a sister company to Three Ten Fly Reels. Z-Bass reels, to, from, from what I've read and what I can see, are basically um, in the category of, like, van stall and that kind of thing. Heavy-duty um, spinning reels designed for surf fishermen, mainly in mind, but can be used, obviously, for anything. Yada, um, yada, 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 yada. I'm planning on getting them on the show, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks to discuss, you know, their products and stuff like that. But I'm scrolling through Instagram the other day, and I come across uh, a picture of one of their reels, one of their spinner reels. And on the spool is printed the dream reel. The dream reel, right? And then on the bottom of the reel, on the bottom of the body of the reel, just below where the uh, reel seat connects to the bottom of the frame of the reel, is the word, uh, words, Owen Strong. So immediately I'm interested. I'm like, oh, what is this? this is a special edition for somebody who's obviously going through something. Um, I'm going to read you their post. With the new year here, we want to wish you, uh, with the new year here, sorry, with the new year here, we want to wish you, your families and friends, much health and happiness. We are sharing with you the dream reel. ZX twenty five slash ZX twenty seven combo we crafted to help the Hancak family. Sorry for the pronunciation, I know I butchered that, but um as little Owen will enter the new year fighting we'll, we all hope we never have to fight. So apparently they have a son who is going through some, some medical issues. Um, they're going to raffle off the Dream Reel this year, and 100% of the proceeds will go to the family to help them with their ongoing medical bills. Stay tuned for more details as we kick off 2018 and uh, keep this family in our thoughts and prayers. Hashtag Owen Strong. And uh, he's got cancer, apparently. It's his hashtag fight cancer. But... Listen, you don't you don't normally see a real manufacturer push out a very much special edition reel, one of its kind for for a, a family in need like this. Like I I've, I've never seen any of the big companies do it. I'm pretty well plugged in with 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 that side of the industry as far as you know charities and things like that because I, I try to keep tabs on it, and, and I, I I like to help to promote it, whether I will just share it or whatever. You know, it's it's good to help folks out, man, when they're down and out. Lord knows, my family has been the recipient of of a lot of just unbelievable gifts in 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 the sense of helping out with Logan and and uh, our daily lives. So. I, I encourage everybody listening to this to go to Instagram, go to Facebook, look up Z Bass Reels. It's Z-E-E-B-A-A-S Reels. Zulu Echo Echo, Bravo Alpha Alpha, Sierra Romeo Echo Echo, Lima Sierra. I just, I, I really, really feel strongly about uh, this company just because of what they've, put out there. It means a lot. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would, would give them a like and a follow.
3: We're talking
2: about charitable things for locals. Yep. This is a friend of mine, her nephew, passed
0: away cancer. Okay. So my wife just brought me um, locally, for you locals, there's a, uh, a benefit for the family of Jared Santos that will be taking place Wednesday, January the 7th. It's already over. No, it's not.
3: Tomorrow. Tomorrow.
0: Wednesday. Tomorrow. I thought I thought tomorrow was the 19th. I'm like Alex today. Um, <clears throat> Wednesday, January 17th from 11 a.m. till 9 p.m. at Moe's Southwest Grill in West Melbourne, uh, Hammock Landing off Palm Bay Road. 25% of all sales will be donated to the Santos family, bringing this flyer. Or let the cashier know you're there to support Jared's family. Um so they lost they lost uh a... Jared to cancer. Okay. So Jared passed away uh due to cancer and so locally that benefit's going on. So if you if you're down in the Palm Bay area tomorrow, um west west Melbourne slash Palm Bay, uh the Mo's on Palm Bay Road. Yeah, you go eat at the Moes and let them know that you're doing it for uh, Jared's family That's cool Thanks for sharing that So there you go But the, uh, the Z-Bass man I just I really feel strongly about that I mean I don't I don't I don't know You don't see that very often As far as You know um, Such a Such a uh, A specific donation For a cause You know what I mean Does that, does that make sense I don't that make any see sense? that
2: ever yeah I don't think I've ever seen that,
0: and I don't know the relationship between uh owen's family and the and the company. I have no clue uh it doesn't make a difference um but I'm hoping to get like i said hoping to get the z bass folks on the on the air in the next couple of weeks just to talk about their products and stuff too, but also to give us a little bit more background into into this this uh beautiful gifts that they're, they're bestowing upon um, little Owen's family. And I think that's it's worth talking about. It's worth bringing up. You know, we live in a <clears> – <throat> I'm going to get off my high horse in just a second, and we're going to get back into other conversation. But we live in a day and time now where people are callous and people seem not to um, care. About others as much as they used to not everybody of course but I would say that the general populace is so um, disconnected from actual human feelings anymore because we're all so used to having a tablet or you know a smartphone in our hand or Facebook or Instagram and and the social aspect of life has basically left us not all of us I, I much prefer to hang out and shoot the crap with somebody face-to-face and talk to him over the telephone. But uh, to see a manufacturer step up like that, that's pretty badass. I mean, when, uh, when our buddy Alan went through his cancer scare, uh, Jackson Kayaks stepped right up and had zero issue in donating a boat for a raffle for Alan. And, you know, it just it, those types of things stick with you. You know what I mean? Those types of things to me are the catalyst that can build an amazing relationship between the consumer and a manufacturer. I'm not in the market for a spinning reel right now, but if I was in the market for a spinning reel right now, I would be hitting up z and buying one of their products because of, just because of this, you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've 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 seen a lot of like already this year. I've seen so much just garbage drama on social media, especially within the industry. That when I see things like this, this is the kind of stuff that I feel like we need to talk about. These are the kinds of manufacturers that we need to back, and these are the kinds of people that you know we need to give them their their due because. That's that. It's just it's the right thing to do. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely uh, nice to see any company step up to do, whether it's for, you know, for people you know, known or not known to the company or a friend of or whatever or or for the environment or anything of that nature. It's pretty rare.
3: Right.
0: Right. It's a
1: beautiful reel. I mean it's
0: gorgeous reel. So someone's gonna be super happy with just, you know, in, in winning it and then also having contributed to a positive Cause like that, I think that it's just uh, it's a win-win-win for everybody, everybody, and hopefully they get enough. <clears throat> I know Z Bass isn't doing it for publicity, but hopefully they do get enough publicity out of it to where, um, you know, maybe it, it helps to to move a few more reels for them. I mean, it's nice for there to be a a reward to your kindness, and not that necessarily it's it's wanted or required. you know what I mean? As uh, as as you like to say, James, it's it's a blessing to be a blessing, and you know, manufacturer steps up in a big way. It's they deserve all the kudos they can get. So that's that. <clears throat> hopefully, like I said, hopefully we'll have a conversation with them here in the next couple of days and uh, get them on the show because I think it would be a really interesting interview. For more than just this reason, but I mean, I like to hear about their reels and. And everything else they got going on. So, don't really have a topic in mind. Either one of you guys got something you want to talk about?
2: Uh, do we want to talk about fish kills? Or how the fish are hanging in down there?
1: Ugh.
0: boy, right. Dep- <laughs> Depressing. Jesus.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Everything's still every, everything everything north Bavard County south is perfectly fine. On the east side. And right yeah. now. We're about to get this next snap, but it doesn't doesn't really seem like the actual cold's gonna last long for us. One or two nights.
0: Well I know that's gonna come I know there was a bunch of sorry, I know there's a bunch of uh dead tarpon out at Pine Island. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, there's been some, there's been some up in the, up in the lagoon area that didn't make it. The first, the first real cold down that we had, um, oh. and like we dis- but like we discussed on the last show, I mean, it's just one of the, one of those things. It's unfortunately it's, it's going to happen when we finally have cold, right? I mean, we've been really, really lucky kind of it's <laughs> It's a, a double edged sword we've been really lucky that we've had somewhat warmer temperatures in the winter time the last few years because it's allowed us to have an incredible bounce back in snook population i mean the tarpon the tarpon seem like seem not to ever really get beat up that bad like I think they're smart enough to get the hell out of wherever they're at and try to Find warmer water somewhere. They definitely disappear in the wintertime, and it's like as soon as spring comes back around, they're everywhere. It's like, where in the world do you guys come from? But I don't know.
2: I think tarpon can take colder water than snook. I don't know the science behind that, but you think tarpon run pretty deep, and then they go pretty far north, the big ones. You know, they'll go up past uh, South Carolina in the summer. So I mm-hmm. think they probably can tolerate. I think they can tolerate a little bit cooler water than snook can. We'll have to. I'd have to look that up online. Do some research on it. You know,
0: Alex, any I ideas? Heard.
1: Um, I think actually that their uh, their cold threshold runs right almost almost degree for degree. Hm. You got to think too when you're that summer push when those big tarpon run up, you know, run up north. Um that water's that water's pretty warm by that time. Yeah, I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. at least at least somewhere above the mid 70s. Because you won't see a, an offshore a beach tarpon off our beach. They just don't come through unless the water breaks at really 78 degrees, but you can get away with 76. So once it gets below that, those fish are going to be on the move and getting the heck out of there, or they won't go that far. So, and that's that's pretty. If you think about it, it's pretty. But that's just their comfort zone. You know, the difference between comfort zone zone and a cold kill threshold is is a big difference. So I think it's somewhere in a, almost the 20 degree range. So it takes water in the in the low 50s. Somewhere in there, I think, to kill them. Let me see. I don't know. <sighs> it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the water temp uh, for either of them is for the actual cold kill. But I thought it was in the, the real low 50s, somewhere somewhere way down there. I don't know. Talk about yourself. I'll look it up real quick.
2: Okay. <laughs> So, has the water has the cold helped the water clarity? Any Chuck?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's cleaned up in a lot of areas. Um, I was actually noticing that <clears throat> today at work doing a delivery. We're driving along, and I looked out at the river and the Indian River proper on the west shoreline, and was pretty surprised that I could see the bars and and some of the deeper holes and stuff from the road which is reminiscent of, uh, you know, some eight, nine years ago where it was commonplace for us to see that. And, you know, there's definitely still some dirty water to be had. And we've got a lot of wind right now, so the wind's kind of – the sediment's not sticking where it's supposed to, so it does dirty the water up from time to time. Uh, lack of grass doesn't help that situation at all, nothing to hold that stuff to the bottom. But, um once the blow stops, you know the water cleans right on up so it's uh it's a waiting game really it's like and you you have to be a very opportunistic angler right now here and be able to fish like when the wind stops, go fish because the bite's gonna be the bite's gonna be pretty darn good um, there's no there's no real protection from it that's the that's probably the hardest thing is it's blowing typically it's blowing a lot of north in it or a lot of west northwest in it and it just there's not a whole lot of places to hide so i mean the fish are still there obviously they're still going to eat and all that stuff it just doesn't make for the most enjoyable situation There's there's places though I mean there's plenty of spots that Alex and I both are are familiar with where you can go and find a little reprieve from it. And, but what I'm interested in to see is whether or not we've got a good a decent pompano population in the river this year. last year I skipped a bunch of them, just even in the kayak. And uh, you know I haven't haven't thought about fishing for them a whole lot this year, but. You know, it's definitely on the on the list of things to try and catch on fly for sure. So,
2: pompano make my tummy happy.
0: Pompano are delicious; they're definitely delicious fish. And you know, it's uh, Alex and I went one time we were fishing on a flat, and uh, we seen some daisy chaining down the flat. Not very many, a few, maybe five, and it was the wildest thing I've ever seen. I mean, I've seen juveniles at the beach and stuff like right in the surf break. You can watch them swim around and try and feed on little sand fleas and whatever else. But these were legit, put them in a cooler pompano that were cruising down the flat, like little tiny permit. You know what I mean? And they, every what's that? Nobody had anything.
2: No, I just said yep.
0: Oh yeah, just like little tiny permit, and we threw everything I had at them, and they wouldn't—they didn't want to play. So there's that. Threw
2: a quan a at them.
0: Bro, I threw everything at them. I actually I didn't have a fly rod <laughs> with me. I don't think I had a fly rod with me. I think we were throwing spinning gear that day actually, which is probably the reason why it didn't happen. If you put a little mm-hmm. small quan in front of them or a small. Um, any shrimp crabby pattern of any kind, I would imagine it would have got their attention, but I'm what's hoping to catch their, uh,
2: Pompano? what's now, the best month for Pompano in the river now winter?
0: Yeah. January, February, March is, I've always found it to be better. And there's certain areas where it's a like really, really good. Like down by Sebastian, there's some bars that they, they work the outside edges of those bars and you can catch them on, uh, on soft plastics and stuff down there. Um,
1: All right. But so I have a question What's up? Here. What'd you find? I, I'm a couple pages into a pretty long PDF, but it's it's actually uh, it's we'll get to the uh, the title of it is um, affects a severe cold event on the subtropical estuarian estuary, estuary estuary whatever dependent common snook. Um, I'm not going to say it's because you thought I butchered estuarian or estuarian or whatever. Uh, its Latin name is is even harder. Um, so who knows conversions from Celsius to degrees?
2: Uh, let's see, multiply by. Oh, I used to know that when I did all my consulting in Canada. Let me think about it.
1: Okay, so fifteen degrees Celsius. Fifteen degrees.
3: Fifteen
1: degrees Celsius. Um, they stop feeding c- completely at 14.2 degrees Celsius. Oh, no, they s- – okay, with the edge of their range restricted by 15 degrees Celsius. So that's their range edge. Figure out what 15 degrees Celsius is, and I can go from there. i probably pretty close to – I think
2: to. it's multiplying by, multiply by two and then add something. Hold on a gonna... minute. Come Let me on, see people, we, have, we, have <laughs> we have
1: technology here. Yeah, we have technology. I had enough technology to bring up a PDF on them. Um, but but uh, they stop feeding at 14.2 They lose equilibrium I.e. float You know how they float before they die And they're not really dead yet mm-hmm. but they're, they're getting close At uh, 12.7 degrees Celsius And then they die At 12.5 degrees Celsius So I'm going to screenshot this This is a really interesting uh, Really interesting read Looks like it's all pretty much focusing on the West Coast, but has some great, uh, some great uh, uh, information in it. If you like reading very long PDFs about
2: fish, which I do, <laughs> Alex. Alex, just um, said twelve degrees. They die at twelve degrees.
1: So stand by. I took a screenshot of that page. Um. Stand by. Uh, so you have uh, 12.5 degrees Celsius.
2: Yeah, so that's a little over 53 degrees, 54. A little bit over 54 degrees. degrees.
1: What did 53, I say? Low degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Low 50s. Um, so yep. my brain didn't deceive me too bad. It was I know I read I know I had read it somewhere. So that's the way my brain works. Um, but uh, I'm wondering the yeah, so temperature. It's it's actually what I'm already as soon as I as as soon as you don't hear my voice anymore because I can't clack 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 in the phone. It's because I'm looking up the tarpon threshold. What was the um What was 15 degrees Celsius?
2: Hold on, I'll let you know. Talk among yourselves.
1: Because <laughs> that 15 degrees Celsius is their warm water th- or their their cold water range threshold it's the, the the temperature that holds them you know so you're talking of a winter temperature an average winter temperature of less than this of less than 15 degrees celsius would be the top north of their range i can almost guarantee you uh well 53 is so 15 degrees celsius is going to end up being somewhere around 60 59 59, 59. Um, yeah so fifty nine degrees, which sixty degrees would probably be our average winter temperature, you know, give or take, or maybe even just a little south of us. Bingo bango. That's why they are called a what was it? Tropical estuarine, estuary <laughs> estuarian. Yeah, tropical something other or another. Estuarian fish. Hmm. So I mean that's the that's the reason. Subtropical. So there you go. Yeah, it
3: Subtropical makes sense. and
1: temperature. It makes- Yep, sub, subtropical temperate zone is the conversion at where? Where does it meet? Right on central Florida. So there you go.
2: Yep. I want to find out this one. You got about, <clears throat> you got about six degrees. You got about six degrees there between when they quit feeding and when they die. or take.
0: And that water gets, the, the shallow water gets super cold, super quick.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that average that that 15 degrees Celsius, that 60 degree uh, Fahrenheit average temperature is the stop the stop edge of their range. So in our area, I you know we get how many days that are down uh, where the water gets down below 53 to where it's going to kill them. You know, it took two good days of of uh, three good days, I think, before they actually died of some cold. Cold weather, which meant the cold water. Interesting.
3: i mm-hmm. right, I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. try to
1: figure out what snuff, or what tarpons are. <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: Yeah, I don't know, man. I just well,
2: uh... it sounds like times three plus five from Celsius to Fahrenheit. Sounds like you multiply it by three of them, add five degrees, and that gets you in the ballpark. Because fifteen was. Fifteen degrees Celsius was about fifty degrees Fahrenheit.
3: Hmm.
1: Well, I well, said, so uh, sweet. This one came right up. Low temperature tolerance of juvenile tarpon. Megalops. Megalops. Atlanticus. <laughs> let's see, let's see. So this looks relative, yeah, this looks relatively, um, relatively official, relatively. Okay, conditions. So juvenile tarpon exposed to ambient water temperature conditions had a mean uh, lethal temperature 13.7 degrees Celsius.
2: And the snook were 12? Hmm.
1: So they're a little bit less.
2: What about So their, actually, uh, oh, oh,
1: hold on, hold on, standby. that was, they were getting deeper into it, so it looks like it's actually around the same. No, it's right around 12 plus 2.8, so they probably had a plus, mm-hmm. they probably didn't have a minus, they probably had fish die at plus 2.8 above, which would be, mm-hmm. you know, close to that what did I say before? Thirteen point something or other. Yep. Fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're talking somewhere in the twelve. Yeah, there were thirteen point seven plus two point eight degrees at twelve. So you're talking somewhere in that low fifty degree water temperature kills tarpon too. If not, maybe yeah. mid fifties.
2: So. What about um? Uh, what about the adult tarpon?
1: Um. I don't know. Let's see what else the old internet had to say. <clears throat> No I would venture to say it's probably little... pretty
0: close. I would venture to say it's probably pretty close. To the same Yeah, because numbers. man,
1: you know, as soon as it's as soon as that that there's still bait available. There's still food, forage food for those fish. But man, it seems like as soon as that water gets below the big ones, man, as soon as that water gets below like, golly, the mid seventies, man, they are just poof gone yep so I'd wonder I'd probably knock ten degrees off of that, so watch I'll bet you it'll be somewhere in the sixties adult, yeah, I bet you it'll probably be somewhere
0: in there i I just want to say something real quick that has nothing to do with temperatures or fish or nothing really except for fly tying, which is what I'm doing right now. I just found three packs I didn't know I had a thin coon, and I am the happiest person right now <laughs> because I have this stupid material if, you, if, you guys, if any of you guys listening to Flies and you don't have Finnish coon in your repertoire of material I highly recommend that you do go out and, and try and acquire some it's just a, it, it's a great natural material has a lot of flow a lot of movement and it's just super, super easy to work with. But that yeah, just made my day.
2: What do you use coon
0: for? <clears throat> I'm using finish coon for tail material, for crabby-style flies, shrimp-style flies, that kind of thing. Um, you can use it in correlation with some um, sculpting fiber or E V fiber if you want to make some bait fish that have more of a pulsating kind of a tail action as opposed to a stiff bait fish made of the same material. You know what I mean? Put a, put a longer sprig of it off the back of the hook than you might would normally and then build your bait fish around it to where the tail material that's sticking out is, is the finished coon it's going to have. It's like finished coon to me is the closest thing to a, a marabou. Feather in the water of a natural material, does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm. and is it somewhat translucent or is it very opaque?
0: No, 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 it's all different colors. they dye it just like they do bucktail and everything else
2: okay okay
0: so but it's 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 got a lot of really thin fibers and then it's got some of these longer almost whiskery like Fibers that are, that are a part of the, the skin that you buy. And mm-hmm. um, it just makes for a really, really cool presentation. I
3: took some how pictures
0: to of that? some flies. I tied, how I spell it? Finnish? F-I-N-N-I-S-H, raccoon, or fin coon. Sometimes it's just fin coon, fin coon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's but
2: it's raccoons it, from Finland.
0: I'm I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming that they're uh of of some sort of a species of coon from Finland, Finnish, fin, fin But uh Finland? I don't really yep. know, to be honest with you. This is a this is a very educational show tonight.
2: It is I didn't know that Finland had raccoons, but I've never really looked it up. So I
0: I don't know yeah, where I they come from. Them. All I know is that their fur is freaking awesome. And it's becoming harder and harder to find it. And I went down yeah. to uh, Harry Good's Outdoor Shop down in Melbourne. Richard is a great friend of mine and has been for a long time. And um was hoping to score some there. And you didn't have any, but they had Temple Fox. It's not the same thing. <laughs> It's not the same thing. The 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 hairs on the temple fox are much longer and a little more coarse. I'm not going to say that it wouldn't work. It's just that you almost have to do the dreaded trim it above the bottom. You know what I mean? Trim it above mm-hmm. the the skin to the length that you need it cuz it's so long. I mean, from the skin to the tip of the yeah. to the tip of the hair, it's probably close to four and a half, five inches long.
2: Make a whole streamer out of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would would be great for uh, other applications, maybe even for the bait fish style where you can tie it all the way up behind the hook and then just kind of run your material back or whatever. But the fin coon is like the perfect length for crustacean type flies. So, sorry. Just, uh, it's one of the things, you know, when you come across something in a bag, you didn't realize you had it. It's it's, a, <clears throat> it's a good day here at the Levi House. It's, good. it's a good day. <laughs> Doesn't take much, folks.
1: All right, who's ready Doesn't for more science?
0: Science. Give it to us.
1: Love science. So, Hashtag science. According to this, according to this thing that has a really good breakdown of a bunch of different stuff from from feeding habits, reproduction, and development. It talks about all, all about how the young and and they uh, about how they breathe air. Blah 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 blah. blah. A bunch of good stuff in this one, seriously, folks, this is what I'm saying a lot of times though about uh about fishing and and um and understanding your what you're going after and what you're looking for and what um what can be considered the right areas, right times and stuff like that. This information's all out there, and it's so easily accessible now. you used to have to read just through a ton of just garbage to get what you needed before. Now you just search a couple keywords, and you can know exactly what you're looking for instantly. It's amazing. Within minutes, I was able to find all this stuff. Um, so we're gonna need some more we're gonna need some more Celsius conversions. Um, but they're saying the 10, 10 degrees Celsius uh, for um, uh, for the Atlantic tarpon. So and, and and I'm not sure if they're they're not really differ, You know they're not really giving you a a, dif- uh, a differential between. Uh, juvenile or adult full-grown, um, in this at least. But they're saying mortality around 10 uh, degrees Celsius, which we've established is probably right around 50 degrees, um, you know, 50 no, no, to 50, 10 four 10 degrees.
2: degrees. Wait a minute. No, 10 degrees Celsius. That's going to be a Hold little
1: on. bit lower. It's going to be in the 40s. 40s.
2: Yeah, well, what would you get?
1: So they're saying 10 degrees Celsius for the mortality. That was done in a nineteen. It 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 references a nineteen seventy seven study. So that's the problem here. You you got references. This is a this thing is brings together stuff. And I'm looking. I'm just blowing through a quick the quick scan of it of all the references. I don't see a single reference um uh newer than twenty eleven.
2: Yep. So ten degrees Celsius it's is sat- fifty Fahrenheit. So 50. Yeah, so it's about five degrees lower.
1: Yeah. So you're losing it. It was 53, 54 for the the snook. So 50-ish, you're losing tarpon. Um, They did say they do have some ranges here. um, And I don't really understand. They say spring and fall range and then a summer range, um, which is a higher temperature. Um but the lower range temperature on those fish, which is probably gonna be another one of those averaged out low temperatures, um, is, is really high. Um it's actually twenty twenty four to twenty six degrees Celsius. So you're talking Yeah, that
2: is high. Yeah.
1: You're talking in the seventies. So yeah. they're comfortable range. But you're able that fish is not able to hold on until it's in the, the very low 50s. So, but if you look at the way at the way our area is, especially on the east, and you know, I know I hate that I say our area all the time, but um you know if you look up for your area, you can kind of figure out what's going on. But if you look at our area in particular, very rarely I, I was talking about this on a different show too. Very rarely does that freeze line get below below the North Boulevard County. You know, or, or give or take, you know, North Boulevard County is kind of the cutoff of that freeze line, and uh, you know that that I guess that average temperature stays just high enough. You know, we don't usually see even on a cooler winter tarpon die, but most you know that's another thing that's that's cyclical too. So you have a good tarpon year of good, or you know, a couple years of good good breeding. And there's more in the lagoons, more in the canals, and maybe not as many of them make the choice to leave. These fish all have the choice to leave as soon as it starts getting cold. Obviously, I'd venture to say the snook's range is somewhere um, a little bit colder. Its 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 favored temperature range is a little bit colder than the tarpons, maybe, but not by much. You know, um, you know, not by much at all. So you're still talking that fish not not being Comfortable, and a comfort in the range is just that—that that average comfort temperature is, is is enough to to where they can stand it. So, I don't know. Interesting. <clears throat> Science, folks. Science.
0: Well, I mean, all these things make you a better fisherman. I mean, make you a better angler, and make you a little bit, maybe even a little bit more responsible angler. To where where you know if the if we got a cold front coming in you probably shouldn't go mess with the tarpon you probably shouldn't go mess with the snook because they're already going to be stressed out enough you know what i mean leave them alone go find a fish that doesn't give a damn about cold like black drum
2: black drum <laughs> sheephead black
0: drum sheephead oh but sheephead love the cold you kidding me i, 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 I don't redfish. think that yeah, redfish redfish don't seem to really mind it much um big trout do big trout don't really do real well in super cold water which is interesting because they they catch good sized trout all the way up into Virginia and stuff and their water gets downright freezing mm-hmm. so but uh mm-hmm.
2: that's right Yeah our I fish, almost I almost our fish wonder should...
1: with that go
0: ahead no 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 go ahead
1: I was going to say, I almost wonder with that if, if those fish don't just live a colder life so they're able to handle that temperature a little bit more. Because that always did, yeah. it always kind of perplexed me how that could happen. Me and my dad were talking the other, literally a day ago, about two days ago, you know, about about the condition of the river and the lack of grass and how it's just not like it used to be. Canals don't hold the trout that they always used to. You know, and that was like our thing. We were, talk, we were literally just talking about this, you know, you... The only other time that it was time to go catch big old trout was, other than spring, when you go, you know, when they're doing their spawn and you're out there chucking topwaters at them, was in the winter. In the deeper mm-hmm. canals, and the muddy bottom canals, yep. and it was floating a shrimp on a, on a bobber, but floating that shrimp like six foot below the bobber. So, he was floating right on the bottom, yep. and just off the bottom, you know, popping trout touts. And curly tails on the bottom, barely moving them, just popping them on the bottom. And it just, it it it's different now. It's not doing it. Well, maybe it's just not as, there's not as many fish, so it's just not, you can't just go to every canal and there's loaded up the trout. But, you know, that was, you know, that was it. I, got I mean, wintertime follow. trout fishing, whew. the Diamond Genie a... Canal, which was the Ferry Villa Canal, which is the canal over in Canaveral, um... Chuck knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That canal was my, my grandfather's canal. Oh my goodness. Before my grandpa built his house uh on the on the canal, we owned he owned the piece of property for like twenty five years. And one of my dad's buddies, I used to go out there and I'd show up at like sunup, up and he already have four or five giant trout in the dang cooler. And wailing, wailing west wind, chop rolling through the canal grass so thick you almost couldn't punch the shrimp through it, you know, from the grass being ripped up from the wind. And you just sit there and hammer giant trout nonstop. So, I don't know. I think I got, the grass has I a got, lot I got, to do with it.
2: I got a uh, – well, I was pondering that the other day, Alex, and I have questions for you. So, where I grew up in St. Thomas Island, Brunswick, Georgia, where we have 6- to 12-foot tides, we have zero grass on the bottom of any creek, anywhere, any river, anywhere. We've got Spartina on the edge and the closer you get to the the water's edge you'll have taller spartina. But we have when you talk when you get into the proper creek or river, you got mud and that's it. Now you'll have some sand, you know you'll have some creeks that are a little more sand, but you have some creeks that are nothing but mud. Nothing but mud. Not one inch of any kind of grass anywhere because a 12-foot tide just rips that kind of grass. You know, grass cannot survive a 12-foot tide. It just it can't hold bottom, especially in that soft muck. But, you know, there's healthy populations of redfish. There's healthy populations of sea trout. There's healthy populations of black drum. There's healthy populations of sheephead. But there's not a stitch of grass anywhere to be found well, in any of those uh, rivers. Uh,
1: of all of of all those species mentioned, the only one in in my mind, especially in that area that that the the nature of its spawning would be um would be you know compromised or different um would be the sea trout because black drum and reds are both especially up north any anywhere anywhere other than here with the redfish of course um and uh black drum are a little different they spawn inshore I think in a few more areas, but they also spawn inshore here um, you know those those spawning habits aren't necessarily altered it's just the ability for the offspring to uh to grow to full size that I would see as being you know with the but like i said uh same with uh uh uh, sheep's head. Sheep's head spawn inlets, passes, uh, and on the beaches, near shore wrecks in the late, in the early, well, late winter. Early year, which is late winter. Right now is when the sheepshead spawn. They spawn basically in the ocean. Um, same with redfish and black drum. Those are broadcast spawners. They spawn in the ocean, and their larva or their, their fertilized egg ends up. Being swept into lagoons and swept into estuaries um, as opposed to being deposited already in the estuary like a trout does. And realistically, the seagrass isn't a necessary function of the actual spawn. The seagrass is only a ne- necessary function of the productivity of the life of the offspring, if you get what I'm saying. Kind of understand? Mm hmm.
3: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So the seagrass is secondary to the trout spawning. They just happen in our area, because all these fish are all broadcast spawners, um, in which if you don't know what that is, what broadcast spawning as is as opposed to bedding, um, broadcast spawn, well, first we'll start with this, bed bedding, when they spawn, a fish that beds, um, those are typically smaller saltwater fish. Like minnows and stuff, Uh, mud minnows, things of that nature, Um, and then you have uh, freshwater fish. A lot of your freshwater fish bed to spawn: bass, brim, almost all your panfish. That's a it's a natural product of their their life cycle is to bed, make a bed, and spawn out, and either protect the eggs or just leave them there. However, they do that, you know, that's up to their their own biology. But the opposite side of that coin, not every fish breeds the same. So the opposite side of that coin is something called broadcast spawning. And broadcast spawning is uh, basically where a fish um, groups up in an aggregation and they use pressure, temperature, salinity, any number of factors and it, it time they time it perfectly so their egg is productively going to be able to float. That's why redfish can breed in our lagoon. Our lagoon sits at virtually salt water or virtually ocean water salinity, almost identical to ocean water, very very w- within just a few parts per million of ocean water. That allows the the eggs of the redfish to float as they would in uh, the ocean. So what happens when a fish broadcast spawns is the female pushes out eggs, the male pushes out milk, which is the white stuff. Like when in late, in the fall when you see these people holding the fish, and the big red fish, and they've just got white stuff all down them, that's the milk. So that basically mixes in the ocean, and that's how the egg is fertilized. And if the water's not salty enough, that egg doesn't float to stay in the mix, doesn't get fertilized falls to the bottom and dies without being fertilized. So there's a lot of factors that that factor into that. All of the fish that we're talking about right now, black drum, sheep's head, uh, well, pull sheep's head out of it just because we can go like this. Black drum, red drum, sea trout are all of the same species. They're all croakers.
2: They're all drums. They all spawn.
1: Yeah, they're all drums. They all spawn relatively the same way, um, which is broadcast spawning. Now, where the seagrass comes in, and I would imagine what what takes its place in in your area would be things along the lines of vast, uh, or in a in a more northern coastal, East Atlantic coastal area, is a significantly higher amount of oyster. Um, oyster. For yeah, yeah lots Tons more of oysters. oyster. Exactly. That's so so what grass. you have is. Yeah. Yeah, and then the Spartina grass, which does dry up, but still typically I'd imagine that fry, what would happen is it's part of the fry soup that comes out of the Spartina every day. You know? Yep. Every time the tide yep. drops low, there's a a soup of fry, small crabs, shrimp, and all that junk that comes flooding out that all the fish wait for is baby fish. Well the deal with yep. the seagrass it the deal with the seagrass is it's it basically stands in as as the substitute to the oyster. So it gives, once that egg, the sea trout comes out of it, so sea trout spawn, to kind of wrap it back around to the beginning, a sea trout spawns in a pretty particular manner, or at least for the most part, as far as science goes to say about it. So sea trout come off of the the winter um, into spring, and coming through the winter in just about all of their range... Um, they're coming from deeper areas, and they go to adjacent grass flats in the spring and the big moons, during the full moon. They also do a minor spawn in the, in the new moons, but the big full moon in the spring is when the trout push up onto the flat, or just off the edge of the flat in the deep holes, and they actually spawn out. So that egg is able to then kind of mix into the milk in the ocean or in the in the in the lagoon, come together get fertilized, and then it settles down onto the bottom. It's hopefully grass, and within a few days, or I think it's a few days, let's it might be a little bit more like a week and a half. Um, it becomes something resembling a fish-ish thing. It gives it a little bit more mobility, a little bit of ability to, to, to flee from predators. But it, the idea is that it stays in that grass, in that lower part in the rhizomes, and the root structure of the grass, it stays down in there and, and hides in there until it's of the ability to get out there and forage. And the grass is full of everything it needs, food, cover, the whole nine yards. So,
2: I'll tell you one thing, but. too, which is really interesting, is that where I lived in St. Thomas, Brunswick, the coast of Georgia, you know, where the Spartina, tons of oysters everywhere. We'd have numbers of trout, but no... World record trout. All the world record trout came from your area for how many decades, right? All the world record sea trout came out of the Indian River, Banana River, Mosquito Lagoon, and there's bigger trout I think over in the Panhandle, um, but they get hit pretty hard because you know you can keep seven trout over there, but a lot of lush, a lot of lush grass over in the Panhandle. You know Panama City, St. Joe, Apalachicola Bay, um, over to Pensacola. Well, not so much in Pensacola anymore that grass's been dying off too because of water quality, but they have some you know they'll run some twenty seven inch trout over that way where where I grew up you know twenty four is a big trout versus where y'all are at thirty plus inches a big you know you got to, what, what 32, 34 inches for you consider it a really big trout down there
1: yeah you're you're if you're plus side of thirty inches, you've done something right,
2: yeah, and I don't know in Georgia when I was growing up, I don't remember anyone ever catching a trout plus out of 30, to be honest with
1: you. So you I, know, that I very well very might have, the, that might have to do a lot with the fact that you do have a little bit harsher winters up there, and, and that that large fish, has a, it seems to me like small trout, and Chuck, I think you can probably attest to this too, small trout tend to be able to handle it a little bit better than the big mamas, the real big old ones. Yeah. The smaller fish yeah, seem sure. to be able to handle that cold water a little better, um, and that mm-hmm. might be a factor in it. It just maybe as they get older, it just doesn't. They just can't do it. You know, they either slide they south or they they end up they end up dying. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's um. But there you go, right there. You know, hey, somebody out there listening right now should be on the the computer, clacking keys, going, sea trout's low temperature threshold. <laughs> Figure it out. Science, science, man. But uh,
2: hashtag science. No,
1: and that's and that's that's one of the biggest concerns I have as we come into the next, you know, next couple years and and really settle into this. We have yet to truly settle into this brown water because uh, I I I did a trip. Um, the water wasn't half bad, but we did almost. 12 miles yesterday on a full day fishing in that wind and granted the wind was blowing so obviously because no grass it's going to make the water more more turbid and and more floating you know more more uh floating debris basically in the water so it makes it dirty obviously but in areas where the water had had an opportunity to have not been that way it's it's still pretty brown and we're it's new, you know. I mean, if you really think about this, uh, for our area, um, you know, we're talking about complete, almost complete loss of grass in a lot of areas for only a few years. So nothing's – it might be uh, – we might like to think something's instantaneous, you know, because we have all this information at our fingertips and everything. But things take a while to, uh, to metastasize. They take a while to – to to fester and i'm i'm really interested because we don't have what the georgia area has for the spawning trout which is the oyster cover and stuff like that we have about all we have in a lot of flats and areas right now is garbage algae which is not anything that's worth anything you know different types of string algae and and uh the red algae grasses uh that that whatever the protozoa, I can't remember what the name of the one is. It looks Mm -hmm. just like grass that everybody cheers and claps because it's grass and it's not grass. It's algae. Um, the one that's, the the one that's real green, thick bladed. Uh, but you know, we don't really have without the grass, we don't have the, the area for those smaller fish to be able to, to really, uh, to really, I think, I guess just, become themselves you know grow up and actually live a life you know when it's when those eggs drop and they drop into sand well every pin fish and mud minnow and everything else they're they're sitting out there like a sore thumb you know so losing that cover you know is a bummer of course it sucks but what is it really really doing in the in the long run is yet to be even close to seen so we'll be dealing with that over the next probably decade and a half figuring out what yeah. not having no grass means. What is what is taking an estuary that at one time very recently very recently had acres and acres and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles, and miles, and miles of grass flats and erase the grass. It's going to take a few years for it to shake out, but I can guarantee you there's going to be some issues, some serious issues. Unless unless well. We're all crazy, unless we're all crazy, and this spring, everything magical, something magical happens, and all of a sudden, all the grass starts growing again, and it never stops, and it's back to normal in another year, which there's virtually no chance. You might as well start start rubbing the lamp right now and freaking hope a genie pops out of that shit, because it ain't going to happen.
2: Well, yeah. the real, well I, I think the real question would be the the forage base. Um, you know, if there's no fiddler crabs or blue crabs or shrimp or small fin fish, if that collapses, then everything else is going to leave or starve and die. You know, where, where I grew up, in where I grew up again, where there's no, absolutely no grass on the bottom. You know, there's still mud minnows and there's mullet and there's shrimp. And we get really, we got a great shrimp run. We got some of the best shrimp runs on the East Coast still. Um, plenty of fiddler crabs because they like that soft mud. I mean, a lot of our redfish and the smaller redfish the slot size up in the creeks, you know, they're eating the shrimp, they're eating glass minnows, they're eating mud minnows, they're eating fiddler crabs. I mean, you'll see them stand on their heads for fiddler crabs all day long, you know, in the warmer months. They'll be up there shallow water forging on filler crabs, getting as much mud as crabs sometimes. But if, if you lose that forage base, everything's going to collapse. And that would be something would be good to kind of keep track of. You know, when you throw a cast net, what happens now? You know, the baby or the small bullets yeah. well, still there, or the finger is still there. You know, that kind of stuff.
1: Well, actually, I have some anecdotal <laughs> data. Now, of course, it's all kind of gone to crap because the cast net is. But um, as fall started breaking and as winter came and as water started cooling in the schools of mullet that that would typically just be mullet i was catching juvenile trout juvenile black drum juvenile redfish way more than i ever have in schools of actual finger mullet not you know a a random Mm -hmm. fish, you know I mean? Back in the day, you drag, you drag the grass with a cast net. You're probably going to pop a a couple of little baby trout in there and and a few other things, maybe a little red. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm Mm -hmm. talking like legit living in the schools of mullet, not one time, but day after day, after day, after day, cast netting my bait for my charters, I'm getting multiple different species and multiple numbers of those different species in my mullet, in the schools of mullet. You know, and that's, that's because they, they don't have their natural cover. Their natural cover is mm-hmm. the grass or the mangroves. Right. Well, if you look, we've taken freaking 80% of the mangroves and now all the grass is gone. So those fish were doing the only thing that they know how is become part of a school. The most common yep. school around is going to be the finger mullet, you know. And it's, it was a direct correlation, direct, you know, no grass around. There wasn't a blade of grass to be found guaranteed every, every time you threw mullet on almost every time you threw a cast down on some mullet, there'd be several different species and several of those different species. So nature finds a way though, you know I mean a lot of stuff as long as like, like you said Jim though, a lot of stuff as long as the forage holds out, as long as they're able to exist, physically take in enough food, have enough energy to live their life, they're gonna f- grind it out and try to figure out what's going on. You know, it's, hopefully we can catch up to them.
3: Right.
0: Like I got a perfect example of that. You ready?
1: Example away.
0: <clears throat> so I was actually having this conversation yesterday evening with a patron at the Beef O'Brady's located in Rockledge, actually Vieira, but anyway, doesn't matter doesn't make a difference um but we started talking about fishing and then we started talking about the the status of the river and i he didn't understand what i was talking about when i said when the grass is gone most of the life will be gone as well because of the the same things you've already said i'm not going to go back over it but basically the same thing you said and he's like you know i don't really see it that way and i said well take take the lake's that are located here around Vieira as a as a prime example of how tampering with nature and destroying natural filtration and the habitat that's needed for eggs and fry and the whole circle of life can destroy a, a place. When my parents built their house in Vieira back in 1992, we were... One of the original families to live in Vieira at that time, most of it was still woods. I mean, at the end of my street, it was nothing but woods from there all the way through to Rockledge. All of the lakes that were in there at the time, some of them were man-made. Well, I guess all of them were really man-made. But some of them were made around the time of development. Some of them had been there in the middle of cow pastures in the Duda property for years.
1: A lot of them were uh, we first a lot of them were fill fill dirt mines.
0: Right, right, right. Fill dirt mines to to build the houses up onto the things so they wouldn't sink into the muck that was that whole area. But anyhow, the thing the thing about it is when we moved in, the lake that we li- or the retention pond that we lived on wasn't a lake. Like you, you bass guys are thinking like I lived on like a lake. Lake no. In Florida we call retention ponds lakes. Um. Anyhow. There was cattails, there was uh, lily pads, there was some sort of grass growth on the bottom, a little bit of hydrilla. I mean, there was a lot of life as far as plant life was concerned. Thus, there were billions of bluegill. When I say billions, I'm not making any exaggerations. Literally every inch of the lake was covered up in bluegill. There's no way you could have, you know, counted how many fish are in there, but they, trust me when I tell you, you couldn't go 10 feet and not find a, a pack of them. And then you also had bass of every size, from little tiny fry bass all the way up to 10, and 12 plus pound fish. We had uh, every now and again we get some uh, some shad to show up inside the lake when we get a big rain. The in between the lakes that I lived on, there was a canal that ran out into the St. John's. And so a lot of bait fish would make their way up this canal and pour through the culverts when the water was high enough into the lake. We had catfish of all species. We had, I mean, it was, it was, we had crappie. We had warmouth. mouth. We had everything in this lake. Like it was literally the coolest thing in the world for me to grow up on this little piece of water. Now flash forward. There's not a, There's not a stitch of any grass, any hydrilla, any cattail, any um, lily pad, nothing in any of the lakes out there in the old neighborhood. The water looks like chocolate milk 365 days out of the year. The fish are gone. 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 And the only thing that's still surviving, and I don't know how the hell they do it, is the Pocosimus and the, uh, the grass carp. That's the only things you ever see in any of the lakes that I used to call home that I used to fish literally every single day and catch ungodly amounts of fish. Dude, I used to float over top of big bass beds during the spawn, and I could pick and choose any bass I wanted to catch, if I wanted to go out and catch a, a fish over 10 pounds, how many did I want to get that day? Those, those lakes were so chock full of fish. I used to Every year I used to get, gather up the Christmas trees and put them in my canoe and take them out and sink them with a cinder block in the middle of the lake and build you know, artificial reefs, so to speak, within the lake so that the crappie had places to go and hide and do their thing. I mean, that, it was an incredible fishery. And now it's all gone, all gone. And what's the common denominator? It's not. It's not because okay. there's lack of food, or, or it is because there's lack of food. But originally, they didn't start to disappear because of lack of food. They're gone because there's no. There's literally nothing. No in vegetation. Place to, exactly, nothing. And it looks just literally if you could t- if you could take an overhead shot of these lakes and and superimpose them in sections of the Indian River and the Banana River, it would look exactly the same. So, I'm just saying. Well, and, hey, I'm just I'm just a dumb kid with a GED, and you know, uh, h- half half of uh, of an inkling is to. Uh, cause and effect. And it's one of those things that just boggles my mind. I have no idea why anybody would want to live in a quarter of a million dollar house on average probably nowadays and stare out at a giant mud puddle when when all they have to do is stop spraying the damn lakes and allow for the vegetation to come back because eventually it'll come back and the vegetation will do the job and clean the lakes up. Dude, we used to have mussels, like freshwater, big freshwater mussels, little small freshwater clams. All, did you get, I'll put it to you like this. We used to sit as kids in the lake. We'd, we'd take lawn chairs and sit them in the lake because it was fairly shallow right at the edge, and we'd dig up these little mussels with our toes in the summertime, and we'd take the meat, we'd stick it on a hook, throw it out, and catch big old catfish. There's not a there's not a oyster there's not a uh, mussel there's not a small clam everything's gone. What's that sound like? It sounds just like the river. All the clam beds have been destroyed. All all the oyster beds that once were are gone. And and for the life of me, how in the world anyone's allowed to harvest oysters anywhere in the mosquito lagoon area is beyond me. Like that, it should be outlawed by now just because of oh, the fact yeah. that they're so important to the survival of the lagoon. But I just saw an ad on Facebook in one of the local community pages for some guy who's selling oysters. He says he's, he's collecting close to a hundred pounds a day in New Smyrna. And I'm like, people just don't understand like how fragile our entire ecosystem is and, 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 and how close we are to literal, total devastation. Listen, every now and again we get on, we get on this topic and it, it, obviously Alex and I are very passionate about it and we don't mean to be Debbie Downers. Listen, there's no shortage of fish at the moment. We can still go out and catch plenty of fish. You come down, you book a trip with Alex, he'll put you on fish. All we're saying is that it's nothing like it once was. you got guys now that are getting into fishing for the first time in their entire lives in their 20s and 30s and stuff because now it's the cool thing to do is to be a fisherman, especially the Internet fisherman, and they think it's on fire. They think it's the greatest fishery they've ever seen in their entire life. And they don't know what this place was like when I was 10 years old, you know what I mean, walking a flat hopscotching from pothole to pothole so I don't get blue crabs ripping my toes off in the grass. Alex was born and raised here. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's, it's just, it's just we, should, we should be of all places in the country where people should look to for cautionary tales of what could happen to their fishery. We should be the shining star for all of this we're supposed to be the fishing capital of the world guess what Louisiana is trying to take that from us Louisiana but when people think about going and catching fish and going and catching numbers of fish and going and seeing and doing and all they're, they're not now they're not thinking Florida as much as they used to I don't blame them I don't blame them. It's, hard. It's, it's so hard for me as a local, as I consider myself a Floridian. Yes, granted, I was born in New York. I was a little tiny kid when I moved down here, whatever. Lived here virtually my entire life. It's hard for me to sit back and watch it and see it and not know what's coming, not know if we're going to get a reprieve, if at some point the county of Bouvard County is going to get their head out of their butt and they're going to start implementing some things to make some major changes, it's going to take crazy amounts of money and crazy amounts of time. But you know, we've got to do something. It's not going to fix itself. I don't think it's going to fix itself. I think we're, we're to the point now to where, you know, we, we just – and I had this conversation with this gentleman the same, in the same uh, regards as to the lakes and all this stuff. I said, think about this too. At one point, this entire river was mangrove shorelined. The whole thing was covered up in mangroves. What would mangroves do? Filter the water. What grows on mangrove roots? Oysters, mussels, things that also, what, filter the water. So when everybody comes in and they buy these properties on the river, and they're still doing it today, I see it all the time, and they come in and they rip out mangrove trees. I don't know how the hell they get away with it, but they rip out mangrove trees so they can see the river better. It's the same thing as people having the homeowners association hire some guy in a boat to come around and spray for all the vegetation in your pond the same exact thing just on a grander scale but the effects are exactly the same think about it think about it local ponds with no vegetation are they thriving environments for fish to live hell no no not just no hell no when you don't even see a wading bird walking along the shoreline in a pond there's a problem. I'm off my high horse now.
1: Preach away, but it's
0: true. I mean, if you think if you think about it, if you think about it, it's 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 a hundred percent truth. You can't you can't destroy the things that create and help to sustain everything, literally everything, from copepods and and uh, brine shrimp to redfish, black drum, tarpon, all the things we love to go out and catch. Everything works in a circle, right? Circular. You put your quarter in, the carousel goes in a circle up and down, circular. <laughs> if, if, the, if the food which the fry rely on is gone, and the shelter they need to not get eaten in, by the hundreds is gone, it's a matter of time before the rest of it falls apart. And I think, honestly, the the one reason why our juvenile tarpon fishery is literally, as far as I know, the most epic juvenile tarpon fishery in the state of Florida is because where these little guys are living, where they're grown up, where they're possibly even spawned from, which makes no sense to me and still no one can really explain it, is... It's chock full of freshwater slash brackish water fry and insect larvae. And there's no shortage of that where they're at. So, you know, I think that's why we find so many of them that hang out in the ditches and in the backwater bays and estuaries is because maybe they make their way out and they realize, Jesus. There's nothing out here. <laughs> like, I got to search real hard for food to eat. Or I go back in there and I can gorge myself every day on mosquito fish and mosquito larvae and, and mollies and baby tilapia and everything else. Which, by the way, all the tilapia are dead.
2: <laughs>
0: all the, all of the tilapia in, in the salt water... That I have all the areas I know where tilapia live in salt water and around the river they're all dead too cold, yeah, so that's not a bad thing that's a good thing we that's a that's a very, very good thing. We're not upset to see dead tilapia, but this doesn't bother us at all because all tilapia do is eat fish eggs and and fish fry and everything else, and they compete for the same space and whatever. Good riddens, but they are still alive in ponds. I mean, or in ditches. I've seen some today in Rockledge, actually, along with a couple of small bass that I think I'm going to have to go try and catch on lunch break tomorrow on fly.
2: So I want so, I want to know how that. those little four how those little four and six inch tarpon got in that little area that we saw them. in,
0: Oops. How they get there? Sorry.
2: Yeah, Alex.
0: Yeah. James and I took a drive through Black Point. Yeah. And and we were we were on the marsh side, the like the real marsh side, not the marsh river side, but the marsh marsh side. And there were little small tarpon fry just rolling like crazy. I mean tiny, like Three or four inches long. And we've had this conversation a few times to where I feel like we can go ahead and debunk the whole tarpon spawn in the ocean exclusively. And, you know, that's kind of their thing the egg and fry wash in with the tarpon, right? Other species, of course, broadcast spawners and all that stuff. I get it. But you would be hard-pressed to explain to me that some fry or some eggs, fertilized eggs, made their way from the ocean into a virtual ditch that doesn't go anywhere in Black Point. I think that there's mature fish, mature-sized fish that live within the estuaries that somehow or another their fry gets back in there as opposed to through the ocean, through the locks, through whatever, magic.
1: Well, you know, there's potential, I would say, in the late summers when you have, you know, I don't I don't know. You have those fish that do sometimes slide in the lagoon, but that would not explain all of them. Yeah. Nature finds a way, man. It's a, Nature finds a way. I know.
0: I know, it's interesting. In the first couple of years that I was doing the show, um, actually, I believe it was like the first or second year I did the show, I had Dr. Aaron Adams from Bonefish Tarpon Trust on the show. And I asked him, you know, I'm catching these little tiny fry tarpon on number 14s and number 20s, little small little tiny fluffs of nothing in these ditches, like, I don't understand, A, how they got there, B, where they came from, if they just, like, showed up and swam through a culvert or whatever, like, where did that come from? Because we are in such a unique location, where the closest open inlet to us is either Ponce or Sebastian. With any any significant flow. I mean, the the locks when they open up, water comes and goes, whatever. But is it enough to turn over enough water to pull, spawn into the river? And then does it get blown through the barge canal, in through a culvert, or blown in through the barge canal and then make the little itty-bitty fries, make their way all the way up to Titusville, through through another culvert, through another culvert, through another culvert, and into a ditch? Like... I don't know, man. <laughs> but nature, like you say, nature finds a way. I don't know.
1: Just like your minnow. You know, Who the hell knows? The, Who knows where? Yeah, my minnow. My minnow. I mean, the minnow that literally almost, well, probably going on 10 months ago, appeared in a five-gallon bucket as a little tiny, tiny baby minnow, fry, um, appeared in a five-gallon bucket of rainwater at the end of my driveway, now lives in his own little aquarium in our house and gets fed fish food every day. Where did he come from? <laughs> Who knows? You know, it was my gut Moving bucket. Moving on it was up that got to ran. the east yeah. side. D- Man, it got so cold that park I, park. I couldn't leave him outside. He went Well, he went from the bucket to the, the aquarium. He was having a hard time with it because he went from everything in his world was white to... <laughs> to the aquarium where he could see outside and I think he was freaking a little bit, but he calmed down and he was living back on my cleaning table, which is kind of ironic that I'd have a, a living fish on my cleaning table. Um, but I thought it was kind of funny. Um, and uh, it got so cold over that, that cold front that he got a, he got himself a place on the window sill in the kitchen. So he's going to stay there. I've never put air in there. I've never done anything up until, Two weeks ago, I had never fed him anything. I decided to start feeding him fish food to see how big I could get him. But uh, yeah, nature finds a way. What kind of the adult? What harper, kind of fish is he? He's a mosquito fish. Okay. Mosquito fishes, atlanticus megalopicus.
3: <laughs>
1: That's the Latin name for it. Science.
0: <laughs> Listen, Science. I after. Uh, <laughs> After the
1: adult tarpon. Hold on. I got to, got to finish my thought. Adult tarpon. Think how far they swim every year from down in the, the keys in Miami and watch they're They're getting them in Miami right now, but I have a feeling with this next cold front, (laughs) it might drop the water temp enough to slide them even further South, start pushing them even further South. They swim from Miami all the way to all the way up the coast to the Carolinas, just because the water's the right temperature. So
2: well there's some tarpon it. that go cross Atlantic, go over to the African coast, they make a big circle.
1: <laughs> well see and that's the Atlantic thing is they, they they honestly really have no earthly idea. They think that the the tarpon go from you know, group up in the passes and the inlets and then push offshore and spawn and that the, the eggs float back in. That's what they think. You know, they that's what they've been able to figure out. As to this point, but if there's ever an understudied fish, it's a tarpon.
2: Mm. I mean,
1: for goodness' sakes,
2: I thought there was two big loops. There was a coming the Gulf of Mexico, goes up the Gulf side to to basically uh, Louisiana. Like there's some that come up in Mexico, the Texas coast, and then there's some come up the Florida coast. And they kind of all meet up in Louisiana in the summer because there's just so much food out there for them. And I've seen it. I've seen acres of mullet, hog leg mullets, not like 100 yards, but miles of hog leg mullets with dozens and dozens and dozens of tarpon crashing through them all day in the Gulf of Mexico off of uh, Venice in the summer, August. Um, Big tarpon, too, all over 80, nothing small, and um, I thought there was a big loop in the Gulf. You know, they go north and they turn around and go south when the water gets cold, but I thought there was a maybe one or two loops on the Atlantic side, and one loop is they go and spawn broad river in South Carolina, and those are genetically unique tarpon, or so they say, or so they claim. But I thought there was a one loop of tarpon that went across the Atlantic and then down the African coast, you know, went up in the summer, then crossed the Atlantic summer, then went down the African coast as the winter went through and then hit the bottom of the African coast and came back across the Atlantic, something crazy like that.
1: I know that I, don't know. I know that most of the largest tarpon in the world have been caught in
2: West Africa. Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big ones, over two hundred.
1: Yeah, monsters. Well, over yeah, yeah. like
2: yeah. well
0: over. Oh, well, like they get them others. in Panama. What? They they get what? them in Panama and they get them in Costa Rica as well.
2: Yeah, that's that Gulf loop on the, the big Gulf on loop. the
0: Pacific side.
1: On the Pacific side.
2: That's what. That's what I heard. They I went think, through the canal.
1: Yeah, I think those are all fish that have made their way through the canal. Yeah.
2: yeah, which is going to be interesting. I don't know because it's a, the Pacific
0: they, is cold. They're an interesting fish. They're an interesting fish. I think that. Well, look, I mean, they're the oldest game fish species on the planet, right? I mean, their fossil records date back to dinosaur
1: time. So, um, I believe right. I believe they are older than sturgeon.
2: Science I believe they are. Hashtag old, but, yeah. you know,
1: the, 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 the Cynoclith or whatever it is, is one of the oldest that's still alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they thought that thing had yeah, been extinct got, for, Yeah, it's got like the crazy fins.
0: It's got, like, like nine fins mm-hmm. or yeah. some craziness. Ugliest yeah, thing. Yeah, they literally mm-hmm. thought but it, was, you
1: know, it had been gone for millions of years, but they found it. I wanted
0: to I, I wanted to jump back backwards a little bit about your mosquito fish. Does your mosquito fish have a name, by the way?
3: Frank! Frank,
0: <laughs> Frank the mosquito fish. Sweet, yeah. We're a anyway, an of family, after, dude. <laughs> no, that's cool. After the uh, after the um, hurricane, we had at the end of our street in the little swell at the end of the road by the stop sign. All of a sudden, appeared. Hundreds of mosquito fish. Hundreds of them. No clue where the hell these fish came from. No idea. Makes no sense. There's no pond. There's no ditch. There's no lake. There's nothing near us. Where these fish could have swam from. It's really weird. It's really weird. It really is. It's very strange to be walking along and all of a sudden you look down and there's a bunch of fucking sorry, oh, bad word. Bunch of uh it's late, it's good. There's a bunch of um what do you call it? Mosquito fish hanging out. That's like the walking catfish, like when when walk when you start seeing catfish cruising across your front yard and you're the way the crow flies probably a good mile from the local pond doesn't make any sense where in the world they come from. But we are a giant sandbar. So who knows? Are they, are they living in the aquifer? (laughs) I mean, it sounds crazy, but are they living in the aquifer and are they bubbling up through the ground when the water, when, when the ground is so saturated that it can't possibly take hardly any water left at all. I sat here and watched literal bubbles Popping out of my yard and out of the road because the whole road was flooded after the storm. Could that be where they're coming from? That wouldn't explain where, how in the world he got in your bucket, but Mercy. might would explain this how this thing it
1: sh- legit rode out the this thing legit rode out the hurricane in the five gallon bucket.
0: But that's what I'm saying. Like it, it doesn't make sense to me as as to how. Well, a yours is crazier because it's in a bucket, like. <laughs> What's the chances that, let's just say a bird flew by with this little fry mosquito fish attached to it some kind of way and it fell from the sky and it landed just so happened to land in your bucket with water in it, you know what I mean? But to have a, as many a legit, of them.
1: Le, legit, a gut bucket that that was a, a bucket that I used regularly for filleting fish and, and you know, uh, prepping baits mm-hmm. and doing stuff like that. And
2: Maybe a bigger fish ate it and... No, popped it, out it, his guts. It,
1: those are those are all saltwater fish, and those were all. <laughs> it, it was dumped. Those guts are dumped, and the bucket's rinsed, and the bucket's left down at the end of the street or at the end of the driveway because it smells. That's a mm-hmm. smelly bucket. It had just straight up rainwater in it, and there was a Earth fish. Seat.
2: Maybe a raccoon. Seat. It's really.
0: I don't know. Really crazy though really crazy, especially when you find them, like I, I could said, like...
2: I it, if in, it
0: was a
1: flying fish.
0: During the hurricane. <laughs> Just caught a major and gust they're... that it couldn't... It...
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dolphin was trying to tax so... <laughs> him, and he, and he got sucked up in the hurricane, and the thing ended up in a 5 gallon bucket at the end of my, sh- end of my driveway.
2: Come it like was soaring tornado, through the... This... But... It was soaring through thing. the sky.
0: <laughs> it was soaring through the sky with with the ease at seventy five hundred like feet. When it looked when it when it looked down and saw your bucket with water in it and it knew it would be safe. Hmm. I don't know. It's crazy. N- nature's crazy. Just nature as a whole is crazy. Just everything about it. Like if you ever stop. Like this is the thing. Like I get it. When you're on the water a lot of guys are hardcore about fishing to the point to where it's all about catching a fish. I get it. I'm not that person. I can go out and fish all day long and not catch crap and still have a great time. But I always soak up what's going on around me in nature. What what What's happening? You know, I hear stuff off in the bushes or up, up in the mangrove trees when I'm paddling along a shoreline and I want to stop and wait and see what pops out. Is it skunk ape? I don't know. Is it, you know what I mean? Like, could be a raccoon. Could be a wild pig. Could could just be birds in the trees. Could be anything. But I want to check it out. I want to see what it cape. is. Could it be, could a skunk, be a skunk ape. ape. And you I could, and could capture it on camera, or I could make friends with said skunk ape. You know, we'll sit down. We'll talk about each other's problems and, and, and things and, and bond and become buddies. And the next thing you know, that's my fishing partner. I, I kick Alex aside and Now I got skunk ape.
1: Just don't pull any pranks on them. They don't like that.
0: They don't Mm -hmm. like pranks. No, we've seen that on the on the beef jerky commercials. No, but you know it just. I think that um, while it used to be real fun to scoot across the grass flats to watch all the critters move in and out of the grass as you kind of go over top of it. Now you don't really see that anymore. It's nice to still see things happening. Rosie at Spoonbills, great example. I could, I could put a fly rod down or a spinner rod down and watch those stupid birds work a shoreline for hours. I just enjoy it. I like watching them feed. I think that it's, it's, it's just a cool thing. It's, I don't know. I don't know. There's always positives in everything, I guess, is what I'm really trying to say. Like, even though this sucks or that sucks, this is amazing. That's amazing. Like, you see cool stuff. Uh, Another example, um, bald eagles chasing around ospreys until the osprey gives up its catch or the bald eagle beats its butt up in the sky and then takes its catch. Like, that's cool as hell. You see that go down, that's, that's one of those things, like, you might not ever forget what you just saw with that, you know? I don't know. I don't even know why I'm even talking about that. I have no clue.
1: Cause it's a radio show, and that's what we. Do.
0: That's what we do. You
1: know what else we do? We
0: eat, and you know what else we eat? Lasagna, and my wife made an absolutely incredible <laughs> lasagna. And uh, hey, I'm an Italian kid. I like my pasta. I have lost a bunch of weight, though, by the way, which I'm really proud of, and I get i actually what's funny, two weeks ago I got a uh an email question from one of our listeners, and he had said in one of the photos that I had recently put up of myself that I look like I've been losing some weight, and he wanted to know how I'm doing it super, super easy super easy you ready here's Here's the secret. Stop drinking soda. <laughs> Seriously. Stop drinking soda. Drink a lot of water. A lot of water. And walk. I'm telling you, if you stop drinking soda, you drink a lot of water, and you go for a walk, mornings or evenings, doesn't make a difference, whatever you're more comfortable with, and power through a walk to the point to where you, you, you're you starting to feel kind of tired, like, wow, my legs are starting to hurt. Power through it. Make it a long enough walk to where, you know, you feel it. And then change your diet. And and by changing your diet, it doesn't need to be drastic. I'm the pickiest eater, I promise you, of most of anybody you know. I don't like vegetables unless it's a potato, which is a starch. I don't corn, beans, peas, things like that I can tolerate. Anything, I don't eat a bowl of salad, like, I just don't. If I was meant to eat grass, I'd have been born with four legs, not two. And I wouldn't have opposable thumbs to make tools to kill stuff to eat. So that's my mentality. It probably put me in an early grave, but whatever. But I went from 265 pounds down, I've been steady in the 220-pound range, and I honestly feel like if I lost any more weight, I just wouldn't even look healthy. I got kind of a big frame, so, but, you know, that's a struggle that that I know a lot of people that I'm friends with that they have. They have a struggle with their weight, and I know this is a fishing show, and I don't care. As Alex said, it's a radio show. We can talk about whatever we want, but I'm, I'm planning on possibly starting a membership with one of the local gyms. Uh, so that I can go and and do a little bit of weightlifting and things like that and kind of turn what once was belly fat and everything else into some muscle. But if anybody out there listening wants to do a challenge or you want to get some tips or techniques on how to go about losing it and getting it off you, it's the most important thing in the world is your health. Like I used to crack jokes on myself, like I'm the big guy, right? Like we we go to the boondoggles. Yeah, I'm I'm that I'm that guy that will literally walk around and eat from everybody's campsite that's willing to give me some food.
3: <laughs>
0: and and you know drink and get pissed drunk and try and do hand, headstands and toddler swings. And that was all fun and games for a while until I got the news that I was diabetic. And until I got the news after I didn't take my diabetes seriously that if I don't, I'm going to have some serious problems. So, you know, this is just one of those things. I was glad I got that email. It was, it was, it's a topic that, you know, we should discuss from time to time. Nutrition, hydration, all that kind of thing. We talk about hydration all the time during the shows in in the summer to make sure you guys are, staying hydrated so you don't fatigue out you don't get cramps you don't you know get dehydrated don't have a heat stroke all that kind of stuff your nutrition and your actual overall health is 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 the most important thing in the world okay so i got a buddy of mine high school friend junior high school buddy high school buddy we grew up together he's like a brother to me He went on and did some really big things in in Hollywood. He's, He's been in movies and stuff and whatever. He's in town. And went and hung out with him last night. And you know what this guy tells me? He lost a pile of weight. And you know what he tells me? He goes, Chuck, this might sound crazy to you. He goes, but I would trade all the money in the world for health. All the money in the world for my health. And, it, and that's what kind of kicked this conversation off. It made me think to myself, like, dude, you are 100% correct. It's great to be rich. I'm sure. I wouldn't know, but it's great to be rich, I'm sure. But if you're rich and you're sick all the time, if you're rich and you're obese and your life expectancy is cut short by 20, 30 years because you, you eat like a pig and you don't do anything for yourself, then how good is all that, having all that money? What, what good is that? You know what I mean? But even for him to have said that, it was it was just another reassurance that yeah, I'm doing the right thing and trying to trying to get a little more healthy and feel good. It's, it's, once you, once your body feels good, then your brain feels good, and once your brain feels good, then your mental game is on point. And a lot of this fishing that we do is mental. A lot of it is thinking and, and trying to outthink a fish or or think of you know how to approach a situation to come in contact with the species in which you're trying to target and the whole thing. And it all
1: it's all a big
0: circle. Just like the circle of life with the minnows and, and stuff, it's the same thing. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Left field, right? That's what see that's what happens yep. though when we don't have like a real hard topic to talk about. We just
2: so- so here's how we're going to tie that left field in. The better health you in, the more you can paddle or pedal and the more fishing time you can have. So that's important.
0: Very, very true. Thank you, sir. That is that is exactly how to tie that in. It's true. That's it's right. True. Listen, when, when we went down and we fished the Adventure Fishing World Championships and we paddled Twenty some odd miles the day of pre-fishing and another twenty the day of the tournament. That those were accomplishments that I was super proud of. I didn't care if we finished first, second, third, fourth, fifteenth, twentieth, thirtieth, last. It didn't make a difference. It was more the whole thing for me was more of a test of 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 my endurance against myself, my mental endurance and my physical endurance. Could I do it? And there's a lot of people that really, really struggled with the physical aspect. And I was actually really surprised because I was kind of, I mean, I was a pretty hefty dude even then. Right now, if, like, say you told me, hey, I want to chuck, let's go paddle 20 miles tomorrow. I'm all over it. I'll do it in a heartbeat. And I know that I won't feel as winded and 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 as crappy as I felt back then doing it because I'm in be- much better shape now than I was then. 38 years old. I mean, I'm not that I'm an old man or nothing, but I'm not I'm not the the, 20, the early 20 something year old paddler that I once was. I feel it now. I'm starting to feel you know the results of carrying around all that weight for so long. My knees hurt. My joints hurt. I get up in the morning and I'm like stiff as a board. I can barely move around. The diabetes has got my nerves and my feet all jacked up to where I used to run around town all the time barefoot, walk up and down the street barefoot. And I can't do that anymore. My feet, my feet hurt too bad. I got to wear shoes or flip flops. And, you know, you got to take, take care of your vessel because you only get one. You know, you only get one. And it's nice to eat a double cheeseburger with extra bacon and A1 sauce or Heinz 57. It's delicious. Who doesn't like that? Everybody likes that. But you've got to figure out a healthy balance between that and the two liter of soda you pound every day. And I found that water and water additives are the answer. Like the little to-go sleeves of like powdery goodness that you put in your water. I buy the sugar-free ones. It tastes okay. It puts a little something in the water. It doesn't taste like city water. You know what I mean? It tastes decent. And I'll drink probably 2 gallons of water a day at work. And the the weight just fell right off me. And I'm getting ready to start this whole keto thing my wife's doing. Just because now I'm intrigued. I sat back and I watched her, and I was like, "If this works for you, I might, I may think about doing it. Might lose a couple extra pounds. One of her cousins lost like he's down three or four pant sizes. I'm like, dang, all you're really doing is drinking this stuff. Anyway, you just gotta be, you just gotta, you know, take care of yourself. That's all. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself." We all make those New Year's resolutions where we say, oh, I'm going to lose weight, get back in shape, I'm gonna do this, do that. Some folks are blessed. Alex Goritschke, blessed. The guy's got a metabolism like I've never seen before. mean,
2: Yeah, he makes me sick.
3: <laughs>
0: I'm just jealous <laughs> of his damn hair. I'm just jealous of Alex's hair. Alex has the most amazing man hair I've ever seen in my life. Like, he could cut his hair back beautiful. super short. Yeah, he can cut his hair back super short, and within, like, three months, he's got hair past his ears, down to his shoulders almost, and, boy, I've always been, because I'm going bald, so, you know, there's that. You know, I feel, I got that, I got hair envy. Jeez, it's really getting rough when you got hair envy. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, he, makes, he makes me sick. I do have a I do have a beautiful mane. <laughs> Oh, man. Can't be the king of the can't be the king of the jungle without a beautiful mane, man. <laughs>
0: this is this is true. This is true. I'm more like I'm more like the you with uh, the. Lo- you can't. That that's logic, right? Hashtag can't science. Listen, him. i I'm,
2: yeah, I know. Can't argue. Uh,
0: I'm more like the lion that's getting pushed out of the pride because I'm you know I'm fat and going bald. I'm losing my mane, so. <laughs> And I'm younger a little, than that, so there's that Little mange
2: too. around the edge. <laughs> a little manes kicking. <laughs> oh my god! At least you still got your teeth, Chuck. You got that going for you. You still
0: I, got teeth. I got. I do have some teeth in my mouth still, sir. That's good. <laughs> oh, Start goodness. losing
2: your teeth, and you would be in bad shape.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Balding, losing my teeth. It, 38, just fall downhill from here, boys, and go out back and dig a hole. Speaking <laughs> of digging holes and dying, have you guys, did you guys see the picture of the freaking John Boat casket?
2: No.
3: I did. I <laughs> no, it's, it, 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 it's a thing.
0: James, it's a thing. It, it literally looks like a green John Boat, like you'd buy at Bass Pro Shops or something.
3: Mhm.
0: Mhm. And it's a and it's a okay. casket. And it closes like a casket. It's got handles on it like a normal casket. It is a casket. You can be buried in a john boat. Like that is every that is every redneck's dream right there to be buried in a freaking John boat. Like I might have pick something a little bit more luxurious, like a, a skiff or something, <laughs> but um <laughs> I can't even imagine. Could you imagine like on your fi- your final wishes you leave that for your wife to take care of for you, honey?
2: Listen, bury me in a John Boat. I know boat. I don't
0: have I know I don't have much time left. But you have to promise me you're gonna bury me in a John boat. But not like the normal John boat. Like the John <laughs> Boat casket. What in the world is next? Holy crap. I wonder
2: if they built the- I wonder if they built that themselves or if they bought it?
0: No, it's a company manufacturing them.
2: Oh, even better. Hmm. I'm to have to ponder it a little bit.
0: <laughs> Google it. I, <laughs> I promise you. It, I, it went through my news feed today, and I saw it, and I had to take a double take. Because actually, originally, I thought it was a duck blind. I thought it was like some new fandangled <laughs> duck blind, because it's John Boat with like this contraption on the back of it which after looking at it for another couple seconds I realized was the lid nah nope put me in a furnace burn me down put me into some cement and drop me on a reef make me a reef somewhere make me a little artificial reef somewhere that's more my speed I don't want to be putting the ground in a john boat nope or a kayak they don't want nothing to do with being buried in a kayak. No. John Boat. John Boat Caskets. <laughs>
2: There's going to be a new
0: sponsor for KFR. We're going to bring on John Boat Caskets, whatever whatever it's called. I don't even know what it's called. but Whoever makes them, we'll reach out to them, see if they want to give one away as a prize to <laughs> our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Call in, caller number three. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Welcome to Kayak Fishing Radio. Hey, what's up? My name is uh, Steve, man. Call from Tennessee. Oh, great, Steve. How's it going? Alex, give him a question. True or false? The minnows fall from the sky. (laughs) True. You win. What did I win? John Boat Casket.
3: (laughs) The John awkward Boat silence
0: casket. you win the John Boat casket. So in the event of your death, timely or untimely, <laughs> you you have a final resting place that you can display in your garage for all your buddies to check out. Use it as a cooler in the meantime, I don't know. Goodness gracious. Anyway. Uh,
1: it'll probably sell.
0: Oh, of course it'll sell. Of course it'll sell. Anything can sell. There's, there's, I've come to find out, I've come to realize that literally anything will sell. Like, look, at, I'm not, I'm not cracking jokes about these guys. These guys are geniuses, right? But when I first saw it on Shark Tank, I was like, what in the hell is this? Shotgun bobbers. Shotgun shell bobbers never in a million years would i have thought that a dude that, that a, a small company from Orlando would make millions of dollars selling shotgun shell bobbers hmm. but but there's somebody for everything and apparently there's a lot of people for a lot of things so hmm. yeah think about that
2: yeah, I'm actually working.
0: On, I'm I'm actually working on a product. I haven't told either of you guys about it because it's on the secret, secret hush hush. But I can tell you on the telephone, not on this phone, not on the show, obviously.
2: <laughs> this all came.
0: This this all came about. This all came about out of necessity during my fly tying extravaganza that I was on this past weekend, and uh, I talked to the machinist that. Has a uh, machine shop next to my my place of work, and uh, showed him what I think I would like to do. And he said, "Okay, where's the hard?" Part? I said, "This might be a hard thing for you to 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 build." And he's like, "What's the hard part?" Gotta love engineers and machinists; like they they don't think like a lot of the population do.
2: They can build anything. And I
0: was like. Yeah, he's like, I'll build anything you want. He's like, let's do it out of aluminum, and it'll be super cheap. And I'm like, cool. Like, how super cheap is cheap? (laughs) Because Daddy ain't got a whole lot of money to invest in this thing. I'm just trying to figure out a way to make a couple of them and see if I can sell one, you know what I mean? And uh, Uh he's like, yeah, cheap enough. I said, cool. Cheap enough sounds good. (laughs) But it it has... um, it'll have its place on a fly tying bench I'll just say that but necessity nature always has a way always finds a way right even us Mm -hmm. apes we find a way
1: that's what they said on Jurassic Park
0: you gotta believe it it's on Jurassic Park that's true that's a true story velociraptors I'm pretty sure they live in Panama those are howler monkeys They
1: made them from mosquitoes
0: let me tell you what the early the early we
1: would would have more mosquito fish around we wouldn't have to worry about all these velociraptors
0: yeah this is true modern day no you know what i'm convinced is the modern day velociraptor those little white egrets that you see like standing in bushes and stuff that eat the lizards you know, sometimes they're standing on the middle of your, on the, on the hood of your car in the middle of a parking lot. The little white ones. Little tiny ones. Those, those remind me of... The third one at Checkers in
1: Merritt Island likes French fries. Yeah, they love
0: French fries. It's, I don't know how you a know a what else likes
1: French? eat French fries.
0: <laughs> you know who else likes French, or what other species of bird likes French fries? Ibises. And you know what else Ibises like? Fried chicken. That's kinda of weird. But yeah, I found that out. Hung out with some Ibises one day. Having a conversation about Ibis stuff. You guys wouldn't understand. And uh you know, gave up part of my uh my fried chicken breast lunch and he scarfed it actually they scarfed it down. And then I threw him the bones and they were like one of them grabbed it, tried to run off with it, and dropped it, and they're fighting over it and I was like, Oh my goodness. Bringing out the inner dinosaur in them. Anyways, cool. Well, we've got, like, just a few more minutes left, Alex, man. If uh, somebody wants to get a hold of you to do a charter, want to give them that information?
1: Yeah, just hit me up at 321-480-3255 or com.
0: Cool. James, any parting words?
2: Snow. Below no freezing. <laughs> Fly rod, eyes, gu- fly rod guides ice up. Very frustrating. That's about it.
0: I got gotcha. you. Logan, you want to say goodnight to everybody? Say goodnight. No. Say
3: night-night.
0: I'm all right, cool. All right, that's all I got, folks. Sorry that we rambled a lot, but I think there's a lot of really good information in there. you guys have any comments, questions, or concerns about the show, um, feel free to hit us up. You can do it on our Facebook page. You can do it on our Instagram page. You can do it on our personal pages, and uh, we'll do our best to get back to you in a timely fashion. Hopefully, we'll have Z-Bass on next week, and uh, I'm going to try and put that together. So but we'll make an announcement later on this week of who's our guest will be for next week. With that being said, take a kid fishing. They are the future of our sport. Thank you for listening and continuing to support us. We do appreciate it. God bless. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. <laughs>